Bibles, turn to Job chapter 11. Job chapter 11. Um, just to give a, a little bit of a summary, in Job chapter 8, we saw Bildad's uh, speech, and Bildad was quite brutal. In chapters 9, we saw um, Job responding to that speech, where he asked the question, what is the use? And then in chapter 10, we basically saw Job saying how much he hated his life and he wasn't going to hold anything back anymore. He was just going to kind of lay it all on the line and pour his heart out before the Lord. And then we come to chapter 11 and last week we started looking at Zophar's speech. And if we thought Bildad was a piece of work, um, Zophar kind of takes it up a level. Um, He's possibly the younger of the three friends that came to see Joe because of his position um, speaking here, but he is even more abrupt than Bildad. And uh, it's incredible how the, uh, you know, it's almost as if Eliphaz kind of not picked his words carefully, but tried to justify his words by saying that he'd had a, like a vision from the Lord. Um, Bildad tried to justify his words as brutal as they were based on tradition so far, kind of, you know, no holes bar. Now it's just kind of, you know, just let it all out. He's on none of the, he's not hiding behind um, visions and extra revelations. He's not hiding behind tradition. He's literally just letting Job have it, both battles. And we basically saw last week um, in, in the beginning part of Job chapter 11, we said that this could be split into three sections, Job's speech and God's supremacy and then Zophar's solution. And in looking at and responding to Job's speech, uh, Zophar basically says, you got off lightly. You deserve far worse than you got. And we kind of spoke about how not to comfort somebody who's going through a trial and a difficulty. Um, you know, it, it's hard enough when somebody comes up. Sometimes words are empty. And even when somebody comes up and says, oh, you know, it'll be okay. All things work together for good and it'll be all right. Even though you know the scriptures, that doesn't always help. What doesn't help even more than that is somebody coming up and saying, well, you're lucky you deserve worse than what you got. Um, That is really pouring uh, or adding fuel to the fire. But as with the other friend's speeches, what Zophar says is actually pretty good. Um, We're going to kind of see a, a gospel account uh, we saw it briefly in, in Bildad's speech. Zophar gives the gospel from a, even from a New Testament point of view, and we'll look at that in a little while. Um, but this is one of those instances where he was literally preaching to the choir. Um, so let's look at uh, verses 7 to 12, and we see Zophar talking about God's supremacy. He says, Canst thou, by searching, find out God? Canst thou find the Almighty unto perfection? It is as high as heaven, what canst thou do? Deeper than hell, what canst thou know? Having reprimanded Job for his wordiness um, and his presumption, Zophar now expands upon the theme of God's immeasurable wisdom. And what he's doing here, he's basically trying to bring Job back down to earth. He's trying to say, look, you, you know, you gave the... A pretty long speech and um, you know we saw how many verses that was two chapters of his speech Zophar now is trying to just stop Job's mouth and one of the ways in doing that is 
and basically um, talking about how immeasurable God's wisdom is. Um, The transcendence of God means basically that he is beyond human comprehending. Um, We know that his ways are not our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts, but we cannot know God in that sense. Um, It's impossible because of uh, his attributes. Our small, tiny minds simply can't (coughs) comprehend it. You know, we cannot comprehend God. One of the reasons why the Lord Jesus Christ came was to show man what God was actually like. If you've seen me, Philip, you've seen the Father. Um, He was the Word in flesh. He was God incarnate, God in the flesh. The Word describes Christ was the perfect description of God. And in verse 7, Zophar says, Canst thou by searching find out God? Canst thou find out the Almighty? Can you figure out the nature of God? Can you penetrate to the foundation of his existence? Um, basically, Zophar is saying you can't work out the nature of God. No matter how many times you try and no matter how long uh, you seek after it, you, you simply can't. God is unattainable. Um, because he's both the perfect one and the endless one. So far as saying to Job, there's no hope. Um, you can't work out God. You can't figure out God. You can't, um, canst thou by searching, find out God. And he's not incorrect in what he is saying. Um, God can't be discovered or discerned by man. We can't fully comprehend what God is like. But it's not the whole truth. Because we know that God does reveal himself to us. You know, if if God, if it was impossible to find God, then man would be without any hope at all. Um, But we can know God and we see uh, that God has revealed himself. You know, God has revealed himself through creation. Um, Romans 1, 19 to 20 says, For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen. Being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so they are without excuse. Um, I was just doing one of my classes uh, I was doing last semester, um, was apologetics. And it was looking at um, how many scientists um, who basically are atheistic in their approach, whilst not admitting that there is a God will even go as far to say that create, that the world couldn't have happened by mistake. You know, they tend to use the word now intelligent design because you cannot look at creation and not recognise the fact that this couldn't have happened by accident. Uh, when we were in America, we went to Hannah's church and they had a, um, a creation. I, I love the creation science and creation ministries. I think they're excellent. Uh, and the guy was told, he was a, um, uh, um, a qualified biologist, and he was talking about how many animals defy evolution. Um, you know, he, he, he looked at um, uh, the whale and he said, look, basically, uh, mammals, we, our nose and our throat is all connected. So we swallow, we breathe, you have your nose and throat, and it's all connected. You ever had that when you've had eye drops and suddenly you can taste the eye drops? You remember when you start that yellow stuff, that yellow dye, put in your eye and, and then you could taste it. Like, what is all that about? That's weird. I've never eaten food through my eye. But it's all, it's all connected. 
Um, but he said that, you know, that um, the way of that breathing spout and the swallowing mechanism is not connected like it is in, in most mammals. And he said, if it was connected, every time the whale came up to breathe, he'd drown. So how could that then evolve? What, what happened first? At what point did how many whales had to die before figuring out, hang on a minute, we need to close this valve off there? And he said it's an impossibility, you know, evolution would end at that point. And he, and he went on through a whole host of, of different animals. Um, but it just shows that God has designed you know, certain creatures with certain functions. Um, they haven't happened by accident. Creation cries out to the Godhead. The heavens declare his handiwork. You know, you look up into the heavens and you, you can't think, hmm, what an accident that we are a, the perfect amount of distance away from the sun to not be too hot. If we were any closer, we would burn up. If we were any further away, we would freeze over with a perfect distance accident no it's and, and it's it's perfect design but god has revealed himself through creation that even creation cries out to the godhead so that all are without excuse but not only does he reveal himself through creation he reveals himself through conscience even the you know the man with the we'd all we'd all sinners for all have sinned and come short of the glory of god everybody has sinned Every single person um, that enters this world is born a sinner. Uh, not because of their, um, you know, their, their relatives, not because of mum or dad. It goes way further than that. It's because of Adam. Because of Adam's sin, that is passed on to all men. As by one man sin entered the world and death by sin. So we re- realise that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But God has still revealed himself... Through man's conscience. Romans 2, 14 to 15 says, For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law, are the Lord unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts the mean while accusing or else excusing one another. Regardless of what people say, they have a concept of right and wrong. Well, where does that come from? Because that doesn't have to be taught. Um, you know, God has placed that within the conscience. Why? Because he's not only revealed himself through creation, he's revealed himself through the conscience of man. But he's also revealed himself through covenant. Um, God entered historically into a unique covenant relationship with one, particular, uh, with one particular nation, and that being Israel. And he, he gave them a specific code of conduct which reveals his nature. Remember that the Israelites were meant to be a light to the Gentiles. What does that mean? The way in which they lived, the way in which they worshipped, the way in which they sacrificed, everything they did pointed to Jehovah God. So God had revealed himself even through the covenants that he made with Abraham, with Moses, with David, with Israel, the, whether it's the, you know, the land covenant, um, God has revealed himself through those covenants. And in a world given over to pagan idolatry, Israel's national life was meant to bear witness to who God was. Isaiah 43, 10 and 11 says, Ye are my witnesses, saith the Lord, 
and my servant whom I have chosen, that ye may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed, neither shall there be after me. I, even I am the Lord, and beside me there is no saviour. Um, Israel were God's witnesses, um, so that he revealed himself to the whole world through the covenant of through the covenant people Israel. Probably the one that we would think of first and foremost, and we mentioned it briefly, the, the way in which God has revealed himself to the whole world is not just through creation and through our conscience and through the covenant, but it's through Christ. Um, he um, was the incarnate uh, God in the flesh um, who dwelleth in all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. All that God is, Christ is. Uh, no man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son hath declared him, John 1.18, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ said. So Zophar attempts to illustrate that God could not be comprehended. But we know that God has revealed himself to people because if you couldn't get to know God, then there would be no hope for man at all. And God's, enti- God's desire is that we- he is able to fellowship with those that he made in his image. As Zophar says in verse 8, it is, it is as high as heaven. What canst thou do? Deeper than hell. What canst thou know? The measure thereof is longer than the earth and broader than the sea. He is saying God cannot be comprehended. But this makes us think of Paul's testimony in Ephesians 3, 17, which says that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ. So what Zophar is saying is, is that you can't figure out God, you can't know God because the measure of it is greater than the earth. And yet Paul says, yeah, and you will be able to comprehend what the breadth, length and depth and height of um, uh, of God, the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Where Zophar is trying to convince Job that he is ignorant of divine matters and there's no possibility of, uh, of getting to know God, Paul is praying that all believers come to appreciate the indwelling power of Christ, that they may become more intimate with God in their relationship, in their walk. Um, Beyond the scope of human knowledge they may be, nonetheless, the secrets of God's heart have been laid bare in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And and we we recognise the fact that this is, you know, what we term progressive revelation. You know, um, Adam didn't have the full picture of what would happen other than the promise that God made to Eve. Abraham didn't have the full picture other than leaving uh, the nation that he was born in to go to a land that God would show him. Um, Jacob didn't have um, the full picture other than knowing uh, that out of Judah, they were, you know, the, the, the scepter would remain. Um, David didn't have the full picture. It's progressive revelation and you see that. You know, as we move through the scripture then, you, you know, each one... 
um, building upon the other. You know, by the time we get to the, the prophets and Isaiah, and then, you know, we're talking then about the, the one who's going to be wounded for our transgressions and bruised uh, for our iniquities. But at this point, you know, there was no Bible. There was no Pentateuch. There wasn't um, the, the books of Moses um, for, for these men to, um, uh, to rely upon. Uh, but Zophar is, is emphatic. Um, he's basically saying God cannot be understood. In verse 10, if he cut off and shut up or gather together, then who can hinder him? For he knoweth vain men, he seeth wickedness also. Will he not then consider it? Uh, the idea seems to be that as God moves to inspect his creatures, he shuts up some for future judgment uh, bringing forward, um, bringing them forward later then to the court to be judged. And no one can stay God's hand. He knows the vain man. He knows that word vain, emptiness, hollow. It's a picture, it can be a picture of lying. He knows man through and through. He's aware of their wickedness. Even if man himself is blissfully unaware of his own sinfulness, God is aware of every single sin that is contained within his heart. And he concludes um, this part of his argument with a, a snappy expression in verse 12, which has caused some commentators to um, go back and forth a bit on what it means. He says, for vain man would be wise, though man be born like a wild ass's colt. Basically, and, and again, you know, I've read several um, commentaries on this and they've um, all got different views but basically um, what it's saying is man is so empty headed that word vain for vain man man is so empty headed for vain man would be wise um, that it's as likely that he will attain wisdom an empty headed man it's as likely that he will obtain wisdom as uh, that a wild ass would give birth to a man Basically what uh, it's saying. It's an impossibility. Um, by nature, man is foolish. But even so early a book as Job offers a glimmer of hope when he says in Job 28, 28, for the fear of the Lord is wisdom and to depart from evil is understanding. Uh, we know then in the New Testament we're encouraged because he says if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who giveth to all men liberally and abradeth not and it shall be given him. Um, for, those, for those willing to admit their ignorance and cast themselves on the Lord, um, then it says that the Lord will grant um, wisdom. Zophar's Middle Eastern proverb is the climax of a deliberate and unsubtle attempt to give Job a rap across the knuckles. Um, you know, we need to read it uh, in direct application to its target. Zophar is speaking to Job. Um, if Job had been wearing the jacket, you can almost see Zophar picking him up by the, the collars and, and shaking him. Uh, Job is being informed basically that he's witless, that he is empty-headed, that he has as much chance to become wild, uh, to become wise, as a wild ass has to be born tame. Um, it's not the most comforting of companions. Um, you know, Job is, is struggling. 
he's already battled Eliphaz's speech um, and he's kind of poured his heart out. He's then battled Bildad's speech and I said, what is the point? I, after that, I, I absolutely hate my life. Um, and then Zophar comes along and kind of puts the, the nail in the coffin, as it were. It's sad that oftentimes a believer's greatest sorrows doesn't come from his enemies. It doesn't just come from his friends. Um, it comes from his family. Uh, we've said before, and I'm sure there are many people here who can say, yeah, I've been there. Um, we've been hurt far more by believers than we've ever been hurt by unbelievers. Uh, and that probably stings a little bit more for Job. You know, we commended his friends a couple of months ago when we saw them travelling great distance. I mean, where Zophar is from, um, you know, is, is up towards Damascus. And so they've, you know, they've travelled a, a fair distance to come and see their friend. And, you know, I don't think they started off on their journey saying, right, oh, we're going to rip salt in wounds right now. We're going to make his life an absolute living misery. I don't think they started off like that. Um, but they certainly weren't comforting him. And that's what we're meant to do. You know, we often um, quote, not forsaking the assembly ourselves together as a man of some is, and we use that to say, look, when the church doors are open, you should be in church. Um, I'm never not going to say, hey, take Sunday morning off, take Sunday night off, you know, just, just come on a Wednesday night. If the church is open on Sunday morning, Sunday night and Wednesday night, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, then you need to be in church. And we often quote that, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together. But the verse before that says, let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works. How? By not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as the man of some is, but exhorting one another. Encouraging one another, lifting one another up, building one up one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. I can tell you this, the day is getting closer. The day is approaching. You know, the Lord's return is, you can almost taste it with what's happening in the world today. So much more so as you see the day approaching. In such a spiritual environment, it is possible to warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient to all men, First Thessalonians 5, 14. But Job's friends lack that tender touch. You know, Paul said, if you see a brother overtaken in a fault, speak to him in a spirit of meekness. You know, there is nothing meek about what Job's friends are doing. It's almost as if they, they just want to kind of unleash every ounce of knowledge that they've got about God uh, and just make Job feel as small as possible. So what is Zophar's solution? Come on then, big boy, you've kind of, you know, you're the man for the task. So what is your solution? He says, and, and, and we have um, the concluding advice. Uh, Job has been foolish in his speech, but Zophar has the solution. And the course of action he recommends, along with its results, um, culminate in the if then, if then structure of his exhortation. Use the conditions. If thou prepare thine heart and stretch out thine hands towards him. If iniquity be in thine hand, put it far away and let not wickedness dwell in thy tabernacles 
For then shalt thou lift up thy face without spot, yea, thou shalt be steadfast and shall not fear. So the conditions, Job must repent. If thou prepare thy heart, Job has to make supplications to God. Stretch out thy hands towards him, and Job has to renounce his sinful ways. If iniquity be in thy hand, put it far away, and let not wickedness dwell in thy tabernacles. So Job needs to cultivate a prepared heart, because Zophar is convinced that Job is insincere. And in his repeated claims to blamelessness, um, he requires pure hands for his prayer to be heeded. And because Zophar believes he's guilty of serious iniquity, he should endeavour to ensure um, the, the domestic piety of his household. You know, and we know that Job had that attitude. We, we saw again, right at the beginning of this story, how Job would make sacrifices for his children just in case they sinned unwittingly, unknowingly. Um, but that's what so far to say it. Um, so pretty much, in a nutshell, so far to say for the wholesale slaughter of Job's children, it proves that they must have all been godless. That's pretty much summing up what, what Zophar is getting at. Um, we recognise that there's, there's a lack of New Testament clarity here among the three friends. Um, they know nothing of the faith in the finished work of Christ. Um, but Zophar's appeal is pretty good. It's a pretty solid evangelistic message. Um, it accurately lists the requirement of the sinner. The sinner has to change his mind. The sinner has to agree with God's verdict on his helpless condition. The sinner has to turn to the Lord in humble quest of mercy and be ready for a, an alteration in lifestyle. Zophar's spot on. However, Zophar is preaching to the choir. Zophar directs his advice to the wrong audience. He is talking to one of God's choicest servants. Um, you know, again, we, um, Job is, is lifted up uh, elsewhere in the scripture. So we know that, uh, you know, the, the, um, the description of Job being a, um, an upright man, one who eschewed um, evil. Um, you know, we recognize the fact then being perfect and upright, one that feared God and eschewed evil, that's not Job saying that about himself. Job is one of God's choicest servants. So Zophar is kind of missing the mark in what he's saying. It, it would, to put it in perspective, it, it would almost be like me taking Brother Andrew through the, like the beginner's discipleship class and saying, right, it's Brother Andrew. Now, do you understand what it means to be saved? You know, literally going through the, the ABCs of the, um, the, the Christian walk. So that's what was Zophar is saying to Job. And so what about the, you know, we saw the conditions, what about the consequences? If you do this, repent, seek God, put your house right. If you do that, then what will happen to this, the, the, to Job's compliance? Verse 15, for then shall thou lift up thy face without spot, yea, 
thou shalt be steadfast and shalt not fear, because thou shalt forget thy misery and remember it as waters that passed away, and thine age shall be clearer than the noonday. Um, thou shalt uh, shine forth, thou shalt be as the morning, and thou shalt be secure because there is hope. Yea, thou shalt dig about thee, and thou shalt take thy rest in safety. Also thou shalt lie down, none shall make thee afraid. Yea, many shall make suit unto thee. A repentant Job would be able to lift up his countenance and be assured of enjoyment because he would know that he was right with God. Um, There would be a, a blissful forgetfulness of the past sorrow. It doesn't work like that, even as a believer in Christ. It still hurts for things um, that have happened to us in the past. You know, when we lose a loved one, that that loss still hurts. Um, Even as time goes on, there's still still a a hurt there. But what Zophar is saying is, is you put yourself right with God, you forget all of that. Well, God knows that that is is not going to happen in this life because that's why he says that when we get to heaven, then all tears will be wiped away. Um, that God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes and there shall be no more death neither sorrow nor crying neither shall there be any more pain for the former things are passed away in this life the pain may cease but its bitter memory can still linger for a long long time but in heaven we know that pain will also be banished as well as sorrow so far also um, says that uh, if Job does this, um, he will come into the brilliance of divine favour so that the contrast will be as dawn to darkness. In verse 17, thine age shall be clearer than the noonday. Thou shalt shine forth, thou shalt be as the morning. After the spiritual gloom and mental uh, depression which has been his lot, Job will be ushered into a sphere of illumination so dazzling that it will outshine the sun. Zophar's language anticipates the glowing description of the pathway of the righteous. um, Proverbs 4.18 says, But the path of the just is as the shining light that shineth more and more under the perfect day. But Job can enjoy a new security from fear, no possible threat of another another sudden uh, removal of his possessions. Thou shalt lie down, he says in verse 19. Same word that is used in Psalm 23 too. He maketh me lie down in green pastures. Um, Zophar is kind of bordering on a, a health and wealth type of gospel. Um, you know, if you put yourself right with God, all your problems are going to go away. Everything is going to be hunky-dory. Can I say this? The reason Job is having problems now is because he was right with God. <laughs> so what Zophar is saying completely contradicts what is happening to Job in the first place. Uh, but it's an interesting phrase right at the end of verse 19. Yea, many shall make suit unto thee. He's saying if you, do, if you do this, if you repent, if you seek God, if you put things right, many will make suit unto thee. And that basically means that People will court your favour. And that happens. People do actually court Job's favour. And do you know, before the book ends, who courts Job's favour? Eliphaz, Bildad and Zophar. In Job 42 and verse 9 to 10, God says, So Eliphaz 
the Temite and Bildad, the Shuite and Zophar, the Namahite, went and did according as the Lord commanded them. The Lord also accepted Job and the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. So Zophar says, Job, if you put things right, people will court you a favour. And God says, boys, you need to seek his favour because this guy is going to pray for you um, because the three of you need prayer. And then as a parting shot in verse 20, uh, Zophar adds a final caution, but the eyes of the wicked shall fail and they shall not escape and their hope shall be as the giving up of the ghost. Zophar holds out to Job two distinct destinies. That of the humbly repentant man and that of the stubbornly wicked man. In contrast to the blessings which grace the penitent, the wicked will find the good that they seek will fail them and there'll be no escape from the coming disaster. By ending his advice on this solemn note, it pretty much um, emphasises the fact that Zophar thought that Job was completely in the wrong. That Job was um, sinful, that there was something uh, that was not right. He has got um, serious doubts about Job's spiritual condition. Like I said earlier, everything Zophar has said has been pretty much spot on. Um, In the depths of his eternal excellence, God is ultimately unknowable. Yeah, um, pretty much. Um, in verses 10 to 11, he is irresistible in his power and inescapable in his omniscience. Yeah, I'm spot on. Verse 12, sinful men are foolish by nature. So far, you're absolutely right. In verse 13, sinful man must repent and turn to God for mercy. You are 100% spot on. Verse 14, genuine repentance will be accompanied by a right lifestyle. Yeah, um, for those who truly repent, there'll be a change not only in their attitude to God and their um, attitude towards sin, there'll be a change in the way in which they live their lives. Verses 15 to 19, the blessings of a right relationship with God include the banishment of fear, sorrow, darkness, and anxiety. Yeah, what he's saying is, is true. God's people are possessed of a sure hope, verse 18, and there's a terrible destiny for the wicked, verse 20. Everything Zophar said was spot on, but not in Job, for Job's condition. Um, like I say, he's preaching to the choir. Taken as a response to the trials of a believer, Zophar's view of life is very simplistic. As far as he is concerned, physical suffering proves a personal sin. Repentance guarantees material reward. Both theories are Incorrect. In the wisdom of, uh, of God, the good are afflicted in this world. Uh, and we, we see that. You know, we see it in the New Testament. You know, we know the type of believer that Paul was. And yet we see Paul persecuted. We see Paul beaten for his faith. We see Paul shipwrecked, imprisoned. And eventually Paul is martyred. Was he right with God? You know, he spoke to the Lord on the road to to Damascus. um, And the Lord said that he was going to be his servant. He was going to be the one to take the gospel 
to the Gentiles. Because he believed God's word, Abraham uprooted his life from Ur and just simply went wherever the Lord told him to go. He gets to the land finally and there's a famine. You know, it wasn't exactly, hey, Abraham, God loves you. He's got a wonderful plan for your life. You know, having received his sight from a miracle from the Lord Jesus Christ, the man born blind found himself the instant target of the religious elite. Um, as a result, he was expelled from the synagogue. You know, Zophar's cosy philosophy doesn't stand up to the scrutiny. What he says, in part, is absolutely spot on. But who he said it to, it made no sense. You know, oftentimes, we kind of give advice to people And they already know that. We don't need to add more misery upon what they're already facing. Um, but oftentimes we can be a bit hot-headed. We feel like, ah, oh, well, I know what's happening in their lives and therefore I'll tell them. And, and it doesn't work. It just makes things worse. You know, we're meant to gather together, to exhort one another, to encourage one another. We're, we're meant to grow together. You know, the, the Christian walk is a tough enough task in and of itself. But when we're battling with every single believer, you know, within the local assembly, then that's just going to make things worse. That, that's not what the walk is about. You know, we're not here to trip one another up. It's not, you know, we're not racing against one another. And as long as I can make somebody else fall and fail and stumble, then at least I get in front of them. That's not how it works. You know, but oftentimes, when we see a believer fall, it makes us feel good about ourselves because we didn't make that mistake. We didn't commit that sin. We didn't get ourselves into that predicament. So we feel better about ourselves. You know, the advice that Zophar gave Job, he ended up having to eat his words because the Lord said, yeah, you... People are going to court Job for a favour. And the first three that are going to court him for a favour are you three. Now Job's going to pray for you. I think sometimes we are a bit too much. You know, we often say about, oh, I feel like Job, you know, I'm going through all these troubles and this has happened and that's happened. And since I've become a Christian, you know, it's one thing after another. And sometimes we can compare ourselves to Job. I think more often than not, we're more like his three friends than we are like Job. And, and I think the one thing that this has taught me, because I have been as guilty as anybody, you know, I've, I've gone to see people and I've given advice and then after reading some of this, you think, that was a stupid thing to say. Yeah, I think one of the stupidest things I ever used to say to people after losing a loved one was, they know the Lord is their saviour. You know, one day you'll see them again and praise the Lord for that. It doesn't help. It doesn't help. And I didn't find that out, you know, after, after losing Topher. I found that out after Hannah went to America. Because even being able to speak to her on FaceTime every single day, her being so far away hurt. 
So when we, and I know we haven't lost them because we know where they are, but you, you understand what I mean? When somebody goes home to glory, yes, of course, there is a comfort there that we'll see them again. That's a pretty stupid thing to say. Because as believers, we know that. It's not until we get the same advice that we've been given out that we realise how stupid advice has been. When you don't know what to say, don't say anything. All you need, if somebody's hurt them, sometimes all they need is to know that you're there. We can't fix everything, but at least we can just be an encouragement with our presence rather than trying to fix things with our words. Because more often than not, our words will make things worse. Father, we thank you again for this night and for this time together. And we just pray that as we come around um, the throne of grace in a little while, Lord, we just pray that you'd speak to our hearts, Lord, as we pray to you and help us. Uh, Lord, if, if we are an Eliphaz or a Bildad or a Zophar, Lord, I pray that you would help us to recognise um, those failures in our life, Lord, that we would, uh, when it comes to being a, a blessing and an encouragement to somebody, uh, that we would recognise those characteristics in our life before we end up opening our mouth and putting our foot in it. So, Father, I pray that you just help us to be an encouragement to one another here in this church, Lord, to be a blessing to one another, to help one another, to mean, uh, encourage one another to grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. And just, Lord, help us to realise um, that you can do all things through our lives, uh, or we can do all things through you that strengthen us. And, Lord, we just want to be a, a blessing to one another, and we want to be a light to a lost and dying world. So would you help us to be that, Lord? We just pray and ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. 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 All right. I'm just praying for um, those watching online. I know there are um, a few that can't make the service this evening. So just continuing to lift Jane and Michael up in prayer. And Nicola up in prayer. And Sharon as well. Um, praying for you. Also, uh, if I could ask you um, to pray for um, Peggy. Um, watches online every single week from South Africa. Um, I don't think she's missed a service for I don't know how long. Um, she comments every time she watches. Well, her husband, Bill, um, is in a bad way. He's got, he's got diabetes. He's got a problem uh, with his foot. So please pray um, that the doctors can save that foot and just pray that the Lord will intervene and undertake. Um, I'm not sure if Peggy's watching tonight, um, but I, I'm no doubt she'll watch later. So Peggy, we're praying for Bill. And I uh, just pray that the Lord will undertake there um, for his need. So um, thank you again for joining us online. We will see you on Sunday at 11 o'clock.